when I don't find it interesting, it's not going to translate well on socials. It's not going to have an energy about it, you know, so I don't do anything that I don't find interesting at all, you know. And then you can go back to the playground. I'm like, well, they're not particularly interesting. But is there a way in which we can collide art and people moving through a space that's very unexpected and you know the the types of people that are coming should would never usually walk through a playground but they might look at things in a different way or they might just look at me and say who's this fool you know whatever it doesn't really matter I don't really care what people think I'm just doing what makes sense in my brain welcome to the intelligence podcast Live Arts Look Behind the Scenes at How the Global Art Market Really Works. I'm your host, Marion Manneker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. CJ Hendry is an artist of sorts, she says. She's an Instagram phenom, an entrepreneur, a copyright provocateur, and an impresario. Last year, she converted a church in London into an immersive experience that involved a never-ending indoor snowstorm. This month in Brooklyn, she's created a massive playground for children and adults alike. The show is called Plaid. From her renovated Brooklyn townhouse, just featured in Architectural Digest, to acting as her own gallery, to a documentary about her copyright infringement public art project, there's no shortage of topics to discuss. Hendry and I sat down in her studio to go through them all. Around us are two of her studio assistants, drawing, and occasionally you'll hear their rolling chairs rumble in the background. I hope you enjoy the interview. CJ, I want to start by asking you about this uh, big event that you're about to launch called Plaid. Uh, but I have to preface it by saying uh, this, this feels like one of those um, one-sided conversations because I follow you and your 600,000 plus uh, uh, folks on Instagram. So I feel I'm fairly clued in on uh, many aspects uh, uh, of your life. So at, at some point I may have to just ask you to step back and fill people in so it's not too inside a conversation. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. So tell me about Plaid. You're, you've got this big uh, event, which is, I think, yeah. like the third or fourth of one of these yeah. events yeah. that you've done that is one part uh, experience, one part, I guess, art show, gallery, uh, a pop-up gallery. It's hard to put your... F- well, I put it this way. Let me go back. Strength... The words are not my strength, so <laughs> forgive me. Um, I'm far more visual, but... Um, so I'm an artist of sorts, I guess, but I'm stri- I always struggle to put my finger on exactly what it like these things are called. Like call it part concept, pour, call it part execution on concept, call it part just do fucking big shit because big shit's fun. I, I don't know, like small stuff doesn't particularly interest me. I think because my work, my drawing side of my practice is so intimate and I really love that intimacy. Maybe I think it's that really small, very hyper-focused, intimate nature of drawing means I kind of am desperate to do these far bigger concepts. You know what I mean? Because you spend so many hours a day 
with your head down yes. on top of a drawer. With drawing. my headphones and a podcast on, you know, and it's really nice to be able to kind of breathe a big fucking fresh I don't know they're big they're always big and I, I I don't know why maybe I'm trying too hard or not hard enough I'm not sure right. this particular concept is yeah it it's an indoor playground maybe it's stemmed on the fact that I now have two small children and obviously my I spend so I spend I crunch fucking hundreds of hours at the playground every year like it's a lot so maybe it's because I spend so much time in the studio and also so much time in playgrounds that I'm like fuck it let's just build a playground um maybe it's got a little bit to do with that but um I've always been very interested in public I really want to do more public art like public permanent installations permanent installations I see a lot of them or not installations permanent sculptures whatever you want to call it public art a lot of it's big heavy and it just kind of sits there and not always but sometimes it's art for art's sake I'm like what the fuck is that why, why is that there like someone's paid too much money and it's sitting in the middle of who knows what and doing what and that doesn't interest me I like the idea of public art that people can use and interact with and generally speaking well not generally that kind of looks like a playground to me I don't know why but playgrounds are a piece of fucking shit you know what I mean like they're just shitty well, especially they are shitty in New York that's for sure um yeah so fuck it we've just built this playground this indoor playground it's very angular it's very plaid like in that there's lots of lines intersecting with one another um crossing over there's so, lots of so layers. It, it follows yeah. through the themes yes, in the artwork. Correct. And there's a, uh, a yeah. parallel <laughs> art project yes. that is distinctive to your practice, yes. which is you take images uh -huh. and then make handmade uh, drawings yeah. out of them. And in this particular case, your, your drawings are always have a problem with being confused with pho photographs. But in this case, you've somewhat blurred the line by creating uh, works of art photographing them and making drawings of the photographs i've drawn paint so most people who maybe don't know my practice might come into the exhibition and be like oh cool paintings like the, the what the fuck's going on here and they wouldn't think anything of it they're just like paintings on the wall and a playground this is what the hell's going on but um people who might know my practice know that you know obviously yeah, they're far more labor intensive than that. Um, but yeah, I've always loved drawing. So to go back to right at the beginning, the concept for plaid, I've always loved drawing paint. I think it's because I actually can't paint to save myself. So maybe I come back to it because I, you know, just like the idea of being able to paint, but not truly being able to do it in the style that I know how. So yeah, I just kind of did these swishes of paint with like a big thick paintbrush and overlapped the lines and the colors and some, it's a little bit translucent in some parts and yeah, um, playing with paint as a, as a mindfuck and then drawing it, I find really fascinating. You say you can't paint, but you, you're drawn such a precise way. Yes. Is that just because you haven't spent the time? I don't think I've spent the time. I th I'm so involved in my practice day to day in terms of the drawing, and I think I've gotten so much so far down the line. I've had no need to delve into paint. Maybe I should because it would allow more scale. You know, like this canvas is no limit, as to, but paper, I'm somewhat limited. So yeah, I should. I don't think I could be bothered. 
But you, it's not like you only draw when you did the previous one of these yes. events. And by the way, I'm not sure I, uh, I'm glad you say you're not sure you're an artist. Because you can call it an event, call it a thing. I, 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 yeah. think, <laughs> I think of you as an impresario, that yes. you, know, you create these events, but you also, you, you know, your, your social media platform is already part of that, yeah. that as well. It's yeah. like uh, 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 doing this and we'll get to copyright infringement in a, in, in a second. But uh, you you made some cast um, leaves yeah. as part of that yeah. show. Yeah. So I'm always trying to do new things in terms of sculpture, installations, concepts, this uh, designing furniture. I'm always trying to like flex my creative arm, but I do think at the core of my practice and where I like do feel the most connected to my work is always the drawings. So for any time I come up with a concept like this plaid series. I, I can't just think of an idea like a big installation. I'm like, why? It doesn't make any sense. I kind of always bring it back to the drawing, a concept that I've always wanted to draw and talk about and really delve further into. And then, I, yeah, it's weird. Like the paint things came about and I was like, oh, I really like this idea, this concept, the fluidity of the paint. And then the playground came about. Like I, I, I like to kind of tie the two together. I never think concept. I never think, oh, what's the installation and then work backwards. I always, it always starts with the drawings. I've tried to do it the other way and it doesn't often work. So are the drawings going to be, you know, on the wall at the playground? Yeah, it's in a separate room. So they're like, you know, they're connected in a way in terms of the angular aspects of the plaid lines. You know, some are parallel, but all, all over the place, um, different colors. Um, and it kind of lends itself to the very angular nature of the playground. And the people who are going to buy your work, uh, do they buy it directly from you? Do you have someone who, you're your yeah. studio manager, you yeah. have a salesperson? No, we don't have a salesperson. It's a very strange way. I, this is not something I've particularly wanted to happen. It's just by a, a series of unfortunate events or fortunate, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it. Um, I used to have, this was many years ago, maybe, oh God, a long time ago. I used to have um, a guy I used to work with who used to sell my art. The relationship got to a stage where we were wanting different things. Um, and I was like, I don't just want to make art for art's sake and just sell it and flog it. That just doesn't interest me. I want to make art that speaks to I, I like I think I'm somewhat creative and I want to do bigger things I want to create bigger concepts I want to tell bigger stories instead of just like make a piece for with there's no con there's nothing around it you're just drawing for drawing sake um, and yeah so I broke away and when I broke away that's when I had to kind of figure it out for myself in terms of the set every literally everything I, I didn't have a database nothing so so that's a long way of saying yes I we do do it all in-house but that's not what I particularly wanted it just is what happened yeah it's just and then it's just continued on and I'm like I, we just do it all in-house and it's works really well I think because I do have now a much bigger team when I say team it's like I have my studio assistants who I'm super grateful to have I have the whole back-end teams like Elsa and Nick Elsa's a, a a chartered accountant she is very very good with numbers you know and we there's a big strategy and you know like it's not just like we just flog them and be like oh who's going to buy them there's a lot more involved we're not going to get into it but you know 
This has been years of doing it solo. You get better and better at it every time. We're, we yeah. want to get into it. Oh, sure. There's a po- podcast do it. about how, how art gets sold. I mean, the whole, whole point it. of this conversation is, yeah. you know, you are uh, on one extreme, but many people are looking at, you know, why aren't artists more directly in control and what does it take? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think a lot of it takes us the, the kind of personality that you have. Uh, one part able to see this, uh, one part control freak, and enough to be able to like know what happened that. that way. A right. whole part control freak. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. But 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 it's still. I mean, I don't think it, this was impossible years yeah. ago. Yeah. It was it was yeah. way too hard to do. It uh, was impossible because how would buyers be able to contact artists directly? Impossible. It, you know, like the gallery is and was the gatekeeper, and for a lot of people, galleries I think are very very important because I st- I really believe that. And I'm not someone who uses galleries, so that might seem a bit ridiculous for me to say, but. I'm a certain type of artist, so I'm not truly an artist to my core. I went to university to study finance. Like, it's no joke that I know how the back end works really well. Um, I, I think I, I can jump around and, you know, pretend to be an artist, and I do that, I do that well for social media. But down to my core, I'm like, it's more, it, it's a big business and that's what this is yeah and that's what this is so right at the beginning we kind of because I didn't have a database all I had was my social media um we I kind of would do a series and would just say well email 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 this email and and we'd get inbound emails so that's how it used to yeah so when you do a new uh uh, series uh project Mm -hmm. uh you know a, a gallery would schedule an opening and most of the sales would take place leading up to that so that you have this great opening oh, I'm sorry everything's sold out is that, and you've placed everything with the the um, uh, collectors you think are going to enhance the reputation of the uh, artist well donate it to a museum and uh, are you doing that yourself or are you just doing it sort of di- differently like hey we know what we're, we're, we're doing and we're gonna sort of s- sell things along the way or we're gonna have a timed release where I think we... it's a little a a little a b yeah. so there are certain pieces I think the originals I'm far more um, protective of and we are more selective with who those go to additions it's if the money is green you know what yeah. I mean and and I think with all businesses you know even originals sometimes it, yeah if the money is green you you need to fucking take it sometimes you know what i mean i got a playground to build correct exactly and also i can't grow my practice and the ideas don't get bigger and better unless there is that financial backing and also i don't have a financial back there's no safety net from anyone there's no one pumping money in it's all through the sales of the art editions and whatever else the fuck we're doing you know so there is that call it pressure but there is that need for work to move the work is moving on enough of a scale that you can you know your previous event was uh, buying a church and renovating it in uh, uh, London and then creating this uh, everlasting snowfall and the one before that was having a custom-made bouncy castle god knows how 3,000 square foot bouncy (laughs) castle (laughs) so these things cannot be cheap yeah they aren't cheap but also I'm an artist where I genuinely don't need much to live like truly I believe in what I'm doing so much I would rather keep reinvesting into my practice I believe in what I'm doing I believe in the artist that I am and my ability to keep creating good shit I think that I'm far more interested in reinvesting back into my practice and my team so hiring 
people who can help grow the practice. Um, far more interested in that than taking money out to buy fancy cars and do fancy shit. Not of huge amount of interest to me. Wait, so I, I have to jump on that. One, I'm not dis disputing that, but it's also going well enough that you can renovate. also buy a house. Uh, yeah, and renovate. And, yeah, that's buy true. a house and it ends up in Architectural <laughs> Digest. So not too sh shabby yeah, there, there. But also, you know, um, years ago you said your practice began with a certain fixation on luxury goods. Yeah, that's true. So I wanted to connect yes, those two, two because you had a previous, you know, sort of stated uh, of. Is that because that was just like you know. You were young and that was uh, something that beguiled you or is that sort of part of the thing like it, it, the, the drawing the luxury goods has helped you sort of objectify them and separate themselves yeah. from you? I think when you're in a position where you can't have the thing, you want it more. And I was what, like a young kid, early 20s, late teens, like just working in retail on $18 an hour, you know, and working in high end, so working at Chanel, wanting to buy the five $10,000 handbag, but 18 an hour, that's a lot of hours to have to bank up to be able to buy that. So, you know, I really cherished these beautiful pieces that I'd buy, whether it was handbag, shoes, whatever it was. And it was the highest end of things I was trying to buy. I wasn't interested in, I won't get into the, you know, I wasn't interested yeah. in the lower end. Um, but I'm fortunate in that through the sales of my art, I've, I, I am able to buy those things, but I'm not interested in buying the vapid thing. You know, I, I, yeah, it's those smaller things I'm not interested in. I'm more interested in space mm -hmm. and I'm more interested in, so like you said, the house. I haven't spent much time thinking about this, but so I'm trying to put it into words. I'm more interested in a, a bigger, longer lasting life and practice. Yeah. And I, and we have children now, two little kids. Yeah, I'm more interested, I like space is very, very, very important to me, the space I am in, yeah. the space in which I work, the space in which I live. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be big and fancy. Our house is big and fancy. It doesn't need to be. It just needs to be a space that in my mind is very calm and minimal and uncluttered. I wanted to get particularly just to the depiction of luxury go goods. So, so if I'm not mistaken, that was one of the first things yes. that you drew, yes. right? When you started coming up with these sort of large format, uh, uh, did you start with um, photographs? I am the type of artist who needs to work from a photo reference. I'm not going to generalize it. That's the type of artist I am. Um, yes, yeah, so I did draw those super high-end luxury goods and put them on pieces of paper. And they, they were my everything. I was so fascinated and obsessed with luxury. I'm, I guess I am still obsessed with luxury, but in a different way. I collect more unusual things. Like I collect furniture. I don't... I, yeah, I, the things, the micro things are almost unimportant. But the, the, the luxury goods were very important, I think, in your um, uh, prominence, right? It, people noticed the, yes, them, it, right. it, it, it had a, a, a resonance. Yes, with, with, with a lot of, yeah, the Chanel bottles, the Birkin bags, the Louboutin sneakers, the mag, the Nike mags, you know, all these really important pieces of product they because they are still really important i mean the birkin bag is not something you can just buy you know so those things are really important in life today they're not as important to me but who cares about me but they are very special products for a lot of people they're special things and that led to some collabs with yeah, brands right yeah 
which has um, been like the hottest thing with artists over yes, the last few years. Many, many years ago, God, maybe was, this is five or six years ago, I was so fortunate to do a collaboration with Christian Louboutin in Hong Kong for Hong Kong Art Basel. This was in like 2017 or something. Um, yeah, that was awesome. That was my first big collab with a big brand. That was fucking awesome. Um, and that was because I drew a pair of their high, high top sneakers, you know, and they, I was on their radar and they were like, we'd love to collaborate. And I was like, I don't, what is a collaboration? What does that look like? <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, and that was the first thing I'd ever done when I broke away from my manager. So I was like trying to, I, I had no idea what I was doing. To be honest, I still have no idea what I'm doing to a certain extent. Yeah, but that's, I mean, you put your finger on the thing mm. that one would, would uh, get you prominence yes. and people would uh, yeah. associate, but you didn't stick with it. I no. mean, uh, you did, it's not like you did only that one, but you didn't do a ton of them. And then you started moving to, is it the, does the Pantone? Uh, yes. Your drawing practice is yes. in some ways like so important because that's what people see on Instagram, yes. yeah. but it's also in a weird way because of all these other things. It's almost not as important as it used to and be. And it doesn't yeah. show up in a, in a gallery, so yeah. I think think it's like yes. the, you we can see you making the works yeah. but I'm not sure we actually see the works where they go afterward no uh, you're right works. they yeah so the work so yeah I think it started with the colored paint swishes um I will say before I started working in color I used to only work in black and white so just with pen just with ink so everything was monochrome and then I started to branch into color and I think when I started to work with color that's when my practice really started to become lively i think it, it really did um so yeah and then the the colored thing with christian Limberton and the pantone i there's so much i've done i i don't even look at it like i don't even look at the trajectory because that's unimportant i'm like looking at well unimportant to me sorry yeah. i'm i'm always looking at like well how can i improve how can i be better what's an idea that i haven't seen before that's really interesting to me like what's the new thing that i can do that's well, I, I, what I find so interesting is like there's one track of you did the crumpled Pantones that kind of led to the Rorschach, um, you know, paint blotches. Yes. And then there's all the, uh, the and this whole thing and then into the florals. And now the plaid is kind of sort of connecting with yeah. the paint, paint swishes. So there's this combination of color and texture is I mean, you're drawing in pasto in, yeah. the, in a lot of the, yeah. the, these things. Um, and, and that just seems to be its own line of, yeah. of what you're pursuing. And then on the other side, there were these images, uh, you know, either from photographs or the, the cigarettes and, you know, these different objects that you uh, uh, drew that were more about the, the objects. Have you sort of stopped doing so many objects and it's more about, you know, the florals and uh, the, the, you know, the swishes? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe I, I kind of draw where my head's at at that point in time, at, yeah. at a particular point in time. So maybe my obsession with object is not, uh, I will, I'm not as obsessed with it as I once was. So maybe my breakaway from physical product um, is just a natural progression from where I'm at in my, my life, my practice. Just going to paint, it's so simple, it's, it's so basic in its essence. Everyone, all artists paint, I'm doing inverted commas, you know? And it's like, like I said before, it's not, it's not any part of my practice, but I'm, I'm drawing paint. I will say this whole series, not completely inspired by, but a huge portion of it. Um, the, my biggest artist in, inspiration right at the beginning, Robert Longo, he did a series, I actually, I'm going to be butchering dates and times, but he did a series many years ago, all black and white, where he replicated Masters' works. And he did, um, oh, every, 
they're stunning and extraordinary and you'd need to look back but yeah. he said some really fascinating things about how you know the gesture of paint is so quick and unintentional you people you know just like a quick this that and the next thing but then making it very intentional by choosing to draw paint is a whole it takes the work it takes the works to a whole new place it takes them to a whole new meaning so um yeah Robert Longo has been an inspiration for me right at the beginning when I started my practice and kind of looking at the works he did and the scale was enormous and they're all black and white um it was just stunning yeah. When you're working on these, do you know the next two or three images? Is you know, is someone creating the the the, the paint blot or the, the flower that needs to be photographed so it's the next thing up? I do all that. So yeah. I'm a very horrible photographer, but I've had to learn some <laughs> yeah, I am I've got all the gear and no idea. I'm just <laughs> fucking trying. I used to work with a photographer who used to come and help me take photographs and then I would use those photographs to draw from. But it was so much of a fushmal and a fucking rigmarole trying to schedule and I've got this day free. I'm like, I just have this amount of time free and I want to take the photo how I want to take it. So I've learnt very haphazardly how to take photographs. You know, I've got a flash. It's it's not the right way, but it works for me. So I take all my photographs of everything. I don't rip them off the internet. I'm too scared of copyright. So yeah, I take all my own photographs. So all the images are original photographs. So there's a very small element of creativity right at the beginning when I'm fucking around with the object, the thing that I'm photographing. And then when it's photographed, you know, that's I do very little editing on Photoshop um, because when you edit too much, it looks edited. It doesn't look like a a real drawing I can't explain it my drawings are only as good as my images my reference images so, so there's no you're not like improving it while you're drawing you're not taking no, any no, lessons no, no. It's, it's like as you is. draw what it's you see exactly as is I draw what I see so I need to make sure my my photograph is what I want and then I'll draw it also I'm very fortunate I've got like a team of probably like eight who are exceptional, far more talented than I am, um, who do help me with base coats. And I'll kind of direct them in the in the finish I like. So, you know, they need to be very opaque, very heavy on the page. It almost looks like paint. The drawings are so, there's so much pigment on the page. You could mistaken it for paint. Um, I don't like to see any paper through the... But there's no, it's not like you put your head down, start to finish with one, you've got a series, you're sort of working on the breadth of it, you get the, the whole thing somewhat in your mind of all the things you're going to do and as try and my, execute. As my practice grows, I'm trying to be better um, for more planned, although I'm saying that and I'm not doing a good job of it at all, doing a fucking horrible job, if I'm going to be honest. But because my practice is growing and the team is growing and Everyone on my team is really good at their job, but I'm the one who's fucking holding everyone up and I'm the one who's bad at my job. Yeah. And so I'm holding everyone up. So I'm really doing my freaking best to be further ahead with planning, whether the concepts and ideas, so we're able to execute in a more seamless manner. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right. saying that now. I'm, I'm really not doing well. <laughs> Well, that's a, the panic is the best way to, sure. to go through life, you know, just having to stand up a bit. So, so you mentioned copyright infringement um, in the sense that you don't, you're not going to get uh, tagged again uh, for that. And there is a, a documentary about your copyright infringement pro, uh, project. So I, I would love to talk a little bit more about that because it is sort of, it kind of captures everything, right? You're, one, the dangers of being uh, someone who draws uh, uh, I images and then taking something uh, bad and turning it into uh, this whole uh, uh, event. 
So you drew a, 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 you made a drawing of a photograph of, was it Muhammad Ali? So Andy Warhol took Polaroid photographs and I drew those photographs. So there was Ali, Grace Jones, oh, you, himself, like the, a whole lot of famous faces. And I drew those. I was like, fine, look at me go. I can draw images, no big deal. And then I did those drawings. I photographed my drawing and then printed them out and crumpled them. Well, it's such a blah, 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 blah. And then drew the crumpled version of my drawing and then put them on a t-shirt. It doesn't matter how many times you transform an image, if it all comes down to like the imagery, the face, it, these are famous faces. Well, or you didn't want to spend the money on lawyers. This is true. Having the court decide that, I mean, it, it, that's really what it comes down to. Richard Prince doesn't yes. mind spending the money on lo lo lawyers. You, you were not in the position. I <laughs> no, I wasn't in the position to do that. So, you know, we got an email. So I, I printed these um, images onto t-shirts um, and these images, you know, it, it's the likeness. It's the person's likeness. I think the artwork itself, if you're just looking at it, art, it's transformed enough. I don't think that's an issue, but because it's the likeness, it's the t-shirts. Correct, if, yes. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we printed them on t-shirts and it was merchandise. T-shirts are merchandise. You can't do that when it comes to famous faces. So we got an email from the Ali Foundation like two hours before this release online and they're like, cease and desist. And it probably wasn't as scary as an email, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, versed on, on scary emails from lawyers. I just saw cease and desist and freaked out. I was like, stop, 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 take it down, take down the release. And so we were left with these like thousands of t-shirts with my drawings printed on the front. I was like, fuck. And then we kind of read through the email and they're like, dispose of slash destroy these t-shirts, please. And I was like, well, it seems like a waste to just throw them away. Why don't we throw them away in a more, just in a more interesting way. So we boxed up the t-shirts and we just hired a U-Haul, chucked them in the back of the truck and just drove around New York and threw them out around the city. And I took photos, literally had no plans other than we were throwing them away. Whoever picked them up, a homeless man, it doesn't matter. We were throwing them away and we spray painted these boxes and it said copyright infringement, trash only. We threw them on the street. I took a photo of them and posted them to Instagram just for fun. And it turned into this just within a couple of hours I was seeing on Instagram that people were like oh my god I got I got a box I'm like what do you mean you fucking got a box we're throwing them away what the fuck's going on and then very quickly we realized like oh my god people are hungry to find these boxes because for, I'm, I'm putting myself into people's shoes they're like oh my god this is an artist usually her art's 10 20 you know 10 no, not anymore but like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars like we can get it for free. Holy shit, let's run. Let's find it. So I, I'm imagining that was the mindset of people. Don't you think it was Instagram? I mean, it, it wasn't. Was yes. See something yes. and participate yes, in real in life. Something. Is this connection between. But then why were people so hungry to go and find it? It's just a box of T-shirts. Like it's a fucking T-shirt. It's like it's not a. In my because, mind, it's not a big deal. Because it's a scavenger hunt and yeah, people can yeah, say yeah. it's the. Uh, look, uh, uh, I went to Disneyland and all I got was the, the lousy yeah. T-shirt kind of thing. Or been there and uh, got yeah. the T-shirt. I mean, there's a certain, it, it resonates with all of these uh, uh, other th things, but I mean, how many, do you remember how many followers you had on Instagram at that point? Maybe 200. Yeah, closer to 200. Um, yes, so there's closer to 600 now, but 
yeah, I don't know. I, I will say I don't really look at the following I have on Instagram as like anything particularly extraordinary. That You know, social media is such a big part of life now. Everyone's got it. Everyone uses it. And there's people, artists with far bigger followings than I have. So I don't look at 600 and think, ooh, ah, look at me go. It's just, it's just a tool I use. That's an excellent point. I'm not sure that the yeah. number matters when yeah, there are yeah, people yeah, with 100 million followers. You know, some of these sports stars yeah. have, have a, 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 you know, real celebrities yes, are like, they, you know. Yes, they do. But I think it's more the intensity and the community, yeah. the fact that you you are very active at it, yeah. it all has a theme, yeah. it sort of pulls this together. I think that's what people are participating yeah, in. Yeah, that's true. So how many more times did you do copyright? We've done it five years in a row. We've literally done it. I've ripped off, every, so it was Warhol the first time, accidentally, didn't plan that. that was, and then I think after that, was, I did Richard Prince, then Tracy Emin, then there was someone else in there, Damien Hurst, and there was someone else. Anyway, just artists that I know are always, inf inf not always, but generally speaking, infringing on other people's copyright. And I know that they, well, their sense of humor I resonate with. You know, Prince's humor is fucking spot on. I love it. I love it. The intensity at which he, he actively trolls, you know, his copyright infringement cases is just hilarious. I find it funny. I don't know if funny is what he's going for, but I just, it's I, I like that. I mean, yeah. the, the, any time he's given any sort of out or way to hide behind it, he rejects it completely. I mean, it, it is very impressive the way oh, yeah. he, he just yes. goes at it. It's like, no, I'm not trying to say anything. No, I'm not, you know, it's, it's just you have to deal with this uh, uh, issue and I'm willing to take the consequences. And so I kind of spitballed off artists that have been embroiled in copyright infringement. So then I infringed on their pieces that were embroiled. You know what I mean? So it was kind of tongue in cheek and funny and, and I did change it enough, whatever. And then, we put them on t-shirts and we, you know, put them around the city. And it's been a, it was really fun, but I've decided to stop it now. There was a fifth and final year. I just feel like when something becomes successful, it, that, great, everyone loves it. But I have a huge problem with that because I'm like, well, then you, I could keep doing copyright infringement forever. We don't make any money off it. Let's be fully clear. It's always been something we just do, but I guess I do benefit from it because everyone knows about it. But yeah, when something becomes successful, I think it's really important to stop when you feel comfortable to stop and move on and do something else because you can keep flogging a dead horse. You, you, know? you just define the difference between art and commerce. Sure. Right? It's like yeah. when, when, you've, when you're done you're and done. you've got nothing more to say, yeah, say you same. stop. And, and to be honest, I think the fourth time I was really becoming tired of it. I'm like, this is not interesting to me. It's not exciting to me anymore. And so I'm like, let's finish it off with the fifth and final and then be done, call it a day and, and move on to something else. And I think I've always run with that in my practice. When I, when I don't find it interesting, it's not gonna translate well on socials. It's not gonna have an energy about it. You know, so I don't do anything that doesn't have, uh, that I don't find interesting at all, you know. And then you can go back to the playground. I'm like, well, the fuck, playgrounds aren't interesting. I'm like, no, they're not particularly interesting, but, is there a way in which we can collide art and people moving through a space that's very unexpected? And, you know, the, the types of people that are coming should, would never usually walk through a playground, but they might look at things in a different way or they might just look at me and say, who's this for? You know, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I don't really care what people think. I'm just doing what makes sense in my brain. 
I have one last question, yeah. and it's a slightly odd one. You, you've been selling these uh, drawings. Uh, they're all quite large fo format uh, for quite some time, but, and you do it directly. Do you also buy back from collectors? Is there an aftermarket? Are you participating in that? Yeah. Or are you worried about the, it, it popping up at, you know, uh, for sale somewhere else? I don't think, I, I don't, I'm not worried about it popping up. I think when pieces are, they do go to auction, it's something that should be, I should be really excited about and I am excited about. We do buy back certain pieces, um, but the pieces that have gone to auction, oh, what was the auction house in Australia? Oh, I don't remember the name. I think they were aiming, to, this was from the Christian Liberton series, the first paint series. I think they were aiming to sell them for 10 and I think each of them went for like 50, 60. So when the pieces do pop up, they don't pop up often, but when they do, I've just kind of like l just watched them slowly, but they always go for far more than what the reserve is, which has been fascinating to watch. Which is what you want. Correct. Right? And if, you know, and we'll talk to the auction house prior and we're like, what are you thinking? And if it's not going to go high, we'll buy back. But very fortunately, because the inventory is not, because I don't make that many work so often because the inventory is relatively low and maybe for some reason the, my collectors buy and hold. I don't know why, but they do. Thank you to you people out there. But like they buy and hold. So when things do pop up, they pop up and they're gone. But yeah, I'll buy back when I need to. Yeah. And fortunately, I will say I'm grateful that I'm in the position where I can do that. You know, if I wasn't able, if the works weren't, so it, it's, a, it's a fucking catch-22, isn't it? You know, if you're not selling the works, you're not in a position to be, it's fucked, isn't it? If yeah. you don't have a deep uh, connection with your, um, both collectors and audience, I mean, yes. let's yeah. be honest, the, the part of what the collectors are buying, absent your, your broader, the copyright infringement, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the documentary and yeah. all, all the, that, you know, I'm sure you would still have a market, but also having this broader recognition and acceptance uh, helps make people want the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. original objects all I'm the more. And I'm very grateful for that. And I think that's the other side to my practice. Whilst I have an, a team of an extraordinary small team of studio assistants, I'm not focused on growing that side of things the originals are very very special to me and I don't want to grow that side I, I think there's ways to grow my practice without inflating the amount of original pieces I make um yeah more bouncy councils <laughs> done <laughs> all right let's close with a commercial yeah. um plaid uh is there are time slots for people those who... are sold out and then there's a week where we open to the public so i think it's from the oh, i could be butchering dates go with me here on the 17th to the 23rd of april those will be just open to the public people come line up and hope for the best but from 10 till 6. and then there's a documentary of uh, copyright yeah. infringement i think that that's comes coming out. out toward the end of the year the guys who are making the documentary are trying to sell it to amazon or netflix or one of those people so we have nothing to do with the documentary being made I'm just the subject of the documentary, yeah, which is very uncomfortable. Well, we'll help, but, yeah. we'll help, help them along a little. Some, so, yeah, so, yeah. Someone in the streaming world should, yeah. should, should pick it up. That'd be great. Well, Marion, thank you for taking the time to come out to Greenpoint. Oh, it was my pleasure. You answered all the questions. I'm fascinated. I think what I appreciate about you so much is you have such an open mind. I think what I do is so strange, and what my husband also does is so strange, and, and just not the norm. It, it isn't the norm. And I, no, I appreciate you 
keeping your open keeping your open-mindedness let me i do i do want to respond to that just in a say look i don't think everyone should do this i don't think i mean i think that the gallery world is fantastic and and everyone mocks it and we can make fun of lots of things about it but it is a a centerpiece of it but we now have all these tools and for certain specific people and you just happen to be one of them i can think of one or two others who've done it and that's part of what i one is like, yeah. you know, how does this all come together and how do you ma- manage it? Because I'm, I'm sure there are other people out there who, you know, it's not like you can plan this. Like, first I'm going to get 200,000 people on Instagram and then I'm going to become an yeah, artist. Yeah, no, it just happens. Yeah. Exactly. I do think, though, the next trajectory for me is to work with a gallery. That's the only next step for me, I think. We there you go. We will close there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Marion. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it.